Hello and welcome to Three Season A Pod from Provision Advisors, the podcast for and about the global communications environment. Three Season A Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors, a look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Gentlemen, it's glad to have you both back today. Uh, it's been quite a week of news developments across our nation. Uh, we've got the NFL playoffs narrowing in. Um, we've also got a new administration that's about to step up to bat. Uh, so I look forward to covering what matters most with the both of you today. Uh, folks, we also have a guest on the show today. Uh, please stick around. We want you to hear more voices than our own here on Three Season A Pod. Last week, it was great to hear some of the feedback from our first show of the new season. Uh, we're glad to know some of our tried and true listeners are still with us. Uh, we even may have gained two or three. <laughs> so we like that. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at ProV Advisors and feel free to check us out on the Al Gore Internet at www.provisionadvisors.net. Uh, gentlemen, let's jump right in with both feet across this nation. We are celebrating the birthday and legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Dr. King was born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1929, and we know that Dr. King has come to embody the fortitude, the strength, uh, the voice of our civil rights movement alongside so many other great Americans uh, who sacrificed their lives in the fight for equality uh, right here on our nation's soil. This is something that uh, we've come to study uh, in our classrooms and in our communities uh, for some time. I will say that here in 2021, uh, as Dr. King would have turned 92 today, uh, we face a continuing push towards equality under what some might call you know, similar circumstances. Uh, uh, though with a touch of, of revisionist history mixed in. Uh, I'll offer that uh, having had a personal hand uh, in the event surrounding the dedication of the MLK Memorial uh, on the mall, it was uh, during that experience, it was breathtaking to, to hear, to smell, uh, and see members of Dr. King's immediate family, uh, also some of those heroes who marched right alongside him. Uh, that was an experience I'll never, I'll never forget. You know, I grew up in a household where the teachings of Dr. King uh, were, were both prominent and transparent. Uh, what I see today, uh, I believe some of those lessons and commentary uh, have certainly been lost and, and, and too often uh, repackaged uh, for the sake of, uh, I think, convenience and other people's platforms. What I want to hear from you all today, while we uh, are certainly, um, we, we, we certainly seek to promote here on Three Season of Pod and at Provision Advisors, uh, promote the totality uh, of Dr. King uh, and, and his teachings and uh, teachings and, and his lessons. Uh, but I also think uh, some of us would, would probably want to discuss what we're seeing, uh, you know, in, in, in today's uh, in, in today's world um, as, as people seek to to celebrate and, and acknowledge uh, the legacy of Dr. King. So I'm interested in hearing uh, what, what the two of you see on this day. Chris, I'll start with you. You know, but Sean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, every year I come to this day and I, I don't know what the expectation is for, um, for Martin Luther King mm -hmm. uh, day. Um, and I'm not embarrassed to, not embarrassed to say that. Right. Uh, there is such a superficiality that surrounds this day, um, everything from mattress sales to, um, you, you know, a sprinkling of the highlights of Dr. King's speeches. I was, you and I texted back and forth this morning. I, I was just amazed at the gall 
of some of the members, some of the prominent members of the Trump administration that uh, cherry picked quotes from Dr. King and put them on social media. I feel like with race relations and race progress in general, we have to up our game surrounding Dr. King's holiday and Dr. King's teaching. Mm, Or mm. frankly, like, what's the point? I, you know, I even thought about it, like with regard to our social media, and I apologize for the door sound in and out. My my son uh, was interested in what we were talking about. Um, I even thought about it with regard to our social media and our website, right? Do we, do we slap a meme up on uh, our our social media that picks our favorite quote, and right. you know we feel good about ourselves, and we kind of carry on uh, with with our day? I have a lot of self reflection. I have a lot of reflection vis a vis our clients. I, I would say this. I would say if you're going to celebrate Dr. King, if you're going to celebrate the things that he and and the group of civil rights activists worked so hard for, gave their lives for, then I think you got to walk the walk. I think if you're going to put a meme on your social media, if you're going to champion it on January, whatever, then then you got to walk the walk. And I know I need to do a better job of walking the walk. And I would advise clients, like, before you celebrate, like, act, uh, look in the mirror and start to live some of those principles um, so that it's not just uh, – a one day a year thing. Right, right. Chris, thank you so much for that. Uh, John, from you? Well, I think we we find Martin Luther King Jr. Day content in the same way that we find 9-11 content in the same way we find Veterans Day content. You know, when Mill Twitter decides to put an American flag up or a picture of themselves when they wore camouflage, it's become that rote, you know, and it shouldn't be. Um, I do find it very ironic that this year's Martin Luther King Jr. Observance Day falls on the same week of this change of regime, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later uh, in D.C. Very interesting um, that I would say a good part of these four years seem to fly right in the face of the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And that is disturbing, particularly when on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, you know, some members of that administration will tweet things as if they are trying to invoke it. Um, Well, actions speak a lot louder than tweets, uh, I would say. So, yeah, I I think that as you go forward as communicators, to echo what Chris said, to walk the walk, I think that gets right to the operations of your company. If you're serious about Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Observe it as a holiday. I know a lot of clients today who are in the office. Um, like this is this is standard operating procedure. You know, but they'll take Columbus Day off. Um, and don't even get me started on the stupid ass holidays that we have in this country. Um, this is an important one today. Election Day, pretty important, should be a holiday. Flag Day, Arbor Day, Good Friday. I I, I don't know about any of this other stuff, but. You know, if, if you're going to walk the walk and you're going to communicate the importance of the day, then observe it as a day. Uh, don't make it a work day. That's, uh, that's, only my, that's only my take from, from here in left field. But that's, that's where I stand on it. A very important day that I think requires actions more than words and tweets. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to what you both uh, offer here. Um, and I will, I will close out with 
I agree that there needs to be um, a, a refocus. There needs to, you know, people do need to do some work, uh, Chris, as you mentioned, um, about what they want this day to, uh, to be, uh, how they'd like to reflect back on the legacy of Dr. King. And I would add, not just Dr. King, I mean, I know we're celebrating this as his birthday and acknowledgement of his life, uh, but also to understand that there were so many other great Americans who were out there each and every day in the battle, in the fight for, for civil rights, the, the entirety of the civil rights movement. Um, and, and just far, you know, far too many uh, names uh, to mention, uh, but just great people who, um, who in that fight uh, may, were either you know, were, were maimed, wounded, lost their lives uh, in this fight. And it really wasn't that long ago, all right? Um, you know, we're, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. would have turned 92 today. Um, Anne Frank would have turned 92 uh, as well. We just celebrated, uh, well, I don't know, <laughs> a few people celebrated. I know Betty White celebrated her 99th birthday yesterday. So when you look at the, the, the time is what I'm getting at. It wasn't that long ago, uh, this fight for civil rights. So I think we have to be very careful about, again, as I mentioned, that revisionist history uh, and, and, and folks uh, perhaps uh, not quite understanding the totality uh, and, and the complexities and teachings uh, of Dr. King and what the civil rights movement meant to America. So uh, it, it's funny. Go ahead. It's funny you mentioned Betty White because embarrassingly, I feel like I'm celebrating Betty White's birthday today and not Dr. King's birthday. Right. I mean, I, I extend a little bit today. Um, yeah, we're doing this podcast, going to do a little work, going to play some golf this afternoon. Like, and I like Betty White. I mean, that's great, but I don't like, I feel like it's almost um, an oxymoron taking the day off for Dr. King. And I know that in years past, and it's difficult this year because of the pandemic, but in years past, it's people have really tried hard to make it a day of service so that right. you don't like take it off. Like it's not a quote unquote holiday. It's more of a work day, but I think more more people are probably in my camp than, uh, and I, again, I mean, I, I think it's important to be honest about it. Um, I think more people are in my camp than in the go out and actually do something camp. We've talked about before, like this summer was a real wake up for me and my family in terms of really starting to think about the consequences and importance of the Black Lives Matter movement and all mm -hmm. the things that were surrounding it. I just hope that people step forward and um, kind of refocus and recenter uh, what the sacrifices of all of those people that you just alluded to are for civil rights, for the civil rights movement, and how much work is still left to do. Yes. Right. And it's not a black, I mean, unfortunately, if you're a person of color in this country, I mean, you bear the yoke of a lot of the civil rights shortcomings. But I mean, as Americans, if one person is suffering, we're all suffering. And so like, how do we refocus that? And how do we really put into action the words and thoughts of Dr. King and his group? That That's what I'm left feeling today is like, how, how do we do that? And I'm sorry to interrupt, but John, I know no, you're no, trying, no, to, no. Wrap, no, no, you're trying to wrap this up, but um, I, I hope that there are companies that 
you know, whether it's this year or next year or whatever, that are really thinking about their, the important role that they have both in society, but also in their own individual culture and what are they doing to kind of make, make things better aside from just posting on the internet. Right. And Chris, I think to add to that is that, and, and we've talked about this on this program, it's about who's sitting at that table, right? We need to, if we are going to be honest with ourselves and we and just really sit down and look at uh, what we want to reflect, whether personally or in the business, uh, and if we're going to, you know, express this to our clients, um, you know, just last week we talked about intrusive listening. So it really, you, you have to put yourself out there, uh, be honest with yourself uh, as, as an entity, as an organization and say, this is who we're going to be. This is what we want to reflect. And a lot of that depends on who you have in the room, who's sitting at the table and are you listening to what they have to offer? So uh, I feel that's one way uh, in which we can be better about acknowledging, um, acknowledging uh, the, the fight for civil rights and the continuing fight that we have in this country. So folks, we'll leave it right there. Uh, it's time for a quick break. Stick with us. You're listening to Three C's in a Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. He's the author of five published novels, former editor of Military.com, a Navy veteran, Naval Academy alum, and now serves as the Director of Outreach and Marketing for the U.S. Naval Institute. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ward Carroll joins us on the show today. Ward, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Bashan. So, Ward, John here. Um, for those who don't know, if they listen to the Sing Second podcast, they know a little bit more about your about your background. But you have a very unique background, both as a Navy retiree um, after twenty plus years of service, teaching at the Naval Academy, working at the Naval Academy, and then working as a PAO. And then as a member of the media, you have started companies, you've communicated for the government, you have worn the uniform, you have a very broad experience. Can you kind of catch us up in short with, with what the totality of that experience is and how you think it helps you do your current job and what that job is? I, I think this all goes back to my rearing as a military dependent, you know, and, and my dad was a Marine Corps pilot, um, attack pilot. Not quite the great Santini, but but you know if you look at Ben's life in in that book, not so much the movie, but the book, you know there are atmospheres that looked familiar to me. When you list all those those different experiences, this let's just call it a Renaissance sort of thing. I'm a a, a jack of all trades, master of none, kinda, you know. Uh, and so me as naval officer, me as novelist, me as musician, me as military spokesman, me as uh, media pundit, um, are all a function of that really varied, eclectic upbringing. The day job that I have now at the Naval Institute um, is basically, uh, it was a place to land after the website I was president of was acquired by a company I didn't want to work for. You know, so yes, I was the editor of military.com for nine years. I was the first editor in chief of We're the Mighty in Hollywood for two years. Got tired of fighting. It's like the Beatles during Let It Be era. You know, every day was a fight. And I had an opportunity to run a website here in Annapolis, military spouse website. It was its own form of chaos. 
and it got acquired. Fortunately, after six months, didn't want to work for the owners of that acquisition and uh, wound up going to my friends at the Naval Institute and, and seeing if they had an opportunity. And they actually created one. They split the membership role to allow me to come aboard. And so I've been able to do all kinds of things, I guess, in a unique ward kind of way. I started the podcast at the Naval Institute called the Proceedings Podcast. And I'm doing some other things that are leveraging my creative side as well as my, you know, get stuff done kind of side, you know. So I'm lucky. I, I get to work at an organization I love, and I really do believe in the mission of the Naval Institute. It's located on the Naval Academy grounds here in Annapolis. So, you know, to work on your own college campus is a, a luxury that many people don't have. And I get to interface with MIDS, keeps me young. You know, we run an internship program and we run one of their extracurricular activities called the profession. So it's it's all a gift. Let me jump in really quick before I turn it over to Chris. I would say that the, the real thing before we get into what you do via YouTube and, and you talked about the, the amazing breadth of what you've done. Um, both leading organizations and being at the ground level of organizations from a communication standpoint, starting podcasts, participating in podcasts, running websites. What did you learn as you first got out of the military and you were a communicator for the B-22 Osprey program when they were falling out of the sky? You had guys like Chris and me and Bashan calling you from the Chinfo news desk, wondering what the F, you know, where are the talking points? Where's the release? How did that really, how did that not turn you off from being in military journalism or being in public relations? And then I, I'll turn it over to Chris to talk more about your YouTube. So originally I wasn't assigned to the V-22. I was just sort of down there, cooling my heels uh, at, at the base PAO shop. And then my first job working for a program was, was, was with the Hornet program. And, and they were just introducing the Super Hornet to the fleet. And it very much was not good for what I do because it was a by the numbers, you know, listen to Chinfo, stay in the lines. They're very risk averse. And I was not loving it, I'll be honest. Uh, and I viewed it just as a day job because at the same time, I was under contract to Penguin Putnam to write two more novels. Uh, so it was actually the second and third in the punk series. Um, and, and so I viewed that as my job. If somebody said, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a writer, but I have a day job at Navier, right? And so it wasn't a source of pride. Now, once I got to, because um, my supervisor at big PAO Air 75 knew I was frustrated. Um, and so he knew that V-22, which had stopped falling out of the sky and were about to return to flight and were completely reorganized to make sure they did it right you know, Redux version was a poster child for how acquisition should be done, right? They had to go through pretty traumatic times at the expense of, of 30 Marines um, before they got it right. So when I joined, it was return to flight and joint program office and so forth and so on. And, and so that was a perfect role for me because I had the, the, support of the program manager who was a Marine Colonel who is now, by the way, the CEO of Sikorsky. Um, but he just said, go do. And so I went to the test team and sat down with the chief test pilot, both corporate and civilian. And, and now we're talking with our hands like aviators. And I was able to completely do um, independent messaging. Um, in fact, I, I, 
your predecessors at the National News De De Desk did not love me because I was not necessarily in phase with their priorities. And I would get le lectured about the Navy playbook and how, you know, we don't care about the V-22 marching towards Opaval and so forth and so on. And I would be quoted above the fold in the Washington Post by Tom Ricks and others. Chinfo um, and, and others, uh, OI2, would, would, did not like it. But I enjoyed the top cover of the Assistant Commandant for Aviation um, and the program manager. Um, and so it was perfect in terms of me being rewarded. And I was armed with the facts and the airplane was succeeding at that time. It really became a fun job and it taught me a lot about you know, forward leaning in terms of risk communications and being sort of emboldened by the facts. We did some XCOMs and some other public events I'm thinking of when we did it at New River with Jamie McIntyre and some other high visibility broadcast media types who were not inclined to believe that the V-22 was going to make it to initial operational capability. And all we did was throw them in the airplane, let them fly around, have the, you know, the test team leads and the guys at VMX-22 talk to them, have the Marines. We had some grunts there that were saying, yeah, I'll jump in this. I don't care, right? I'll, I'll, I'll ride around in anything. You know, I ride in an H-53. Why wouldn't I get in this thing? And so it just, we won hearts and minds through really fact-based, forward-leaning communications plans. And I was also working very closely with Bell and Boeing. You know, they have some very high-priced communications, uh, you know, people there and agencies at the sort of, you know, um, at, at the K Street um, lobbyist level. And I got to see all of that part of the machinery. So it was really a graduate education in procurement, but also a graduate education in risk communications and messaging. So I'm very proud of the three years I spent because I took it from return to flight to the full rate production decision, something, by the way, that the F-35 is, is incapable of reaching at this time, the full rate production decision. And at that point, coincidentally, Chris Michael, we saw each other at CNO's change of command at Alumni Hall at the Naval Academy. He's like, hey, come on out to San Francisco. And I said, okay. And I said yes to another job I wasn't qualified for, to being the editor of military.com. Ward, you, you hit a lot of pieces there. I, I was writing down um, some of the words that you said um, as you were talking. And, and it's one of the things that I enjoy most about our friendship and the opportunity that we've had to work together. Um, is that you, I would say, are like the definition of early adopter, right? I mean, and I, I think some of that is based on your life experience. Some of that is based on probably um, just a willingness to fail and not let it affect who you are, right? I mean, if you get a little bit of dirt on your uniform, you skin your knee, it's not that big a deal. But in the communication world, especially today, there is a heavy tension between uh, some of the words that you said, right? On one side is forward leaning, trust, freedom of movement, creative, early adopter. On the other side of that tension is tried and true, traditional, by the book. How do you balance that that tension? Um, I, I mean, I, I would say that in the 15 years that I was a communicator in the Navy, um, I, I struggled with that tension because, I mean, you, you especially an organization like the Navy and in, in which it's uh, – 
hierarchical and, and uh, that, you know, puts a lot of emphasis on command and control, but most organizations are, are that way. How, how are you able to respect the one side of the tension, but still be able to try new things and push limits, whether that's for our company or whether that's in developing and maintaining your personal brand? My first impulse, Chris, is to say um, I have trouble with respecting the one side if that side is wrong. You know, I, we, we, and this is our chemistry, the three of us as retired naval officers, is we, we've been at iconoclasts and our success is a function of migrating towards where our inclinations were, not just didactically showing up and reading the policy manual and complying with it. We know these guys. And so I think, as I said, when I first worked for the Hornet program, I was not happy. And I was told, sit down and color. And, and I'm not good at that. You know, just because the captain who went on to be an admiral um, said so, I, I was like, I was stewing and I was not going to last very long there. Unfortunately, I was only there six weeks and I got, uh, I'll never forget when Colonel Schultz, who was the V-22 program manager, came into the Hornet program and reached his hand out and said, welcome to the V-22 program and gave me a patch and a mug. And I looked around, I said, you see, that's how it's done, people. And I grabbed my few binders that I had. And I think I had one plaque on my little small cubicle and I walked out never to return. I, I think I possess at once um, an edginess, but a maturity that ha is hard fought. I mean, if you look at Lieutenant J.G. Carroll, um, it, it was sort of like me, except with all, without the street cred, you know, and, and I, I love teaching in the Naval Academy years later when I was in 05, because I recognized myself in the cocky mids I taught. You know, and I think I, a lot of my takeaways from the Naval Academy were absolutely the wrong things, you know, and, and, and so I was able to remedy that. And I continue to do that today when I deal with MIDS in terms of, you know, watch the traps of going to this elite institution and, and what they're teaching you against what you really should be learning. So I, I think the short answer to the great question, Chris, is I, I, I'm not good at balancing those things. You know, and 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 so insofar as I bump up against a guardrail in terms of you're about to say something that will get you fired, um, I do possess that software. It wasn't resident, but it's been added along the way. Um, but I don't stop there, right? I'll back away, and I've had some tense meetings uh, with with principals in recent times, um, and 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 so I think I know how to okay, this is not going to be productive at this point. I've stated my case, either give them a chance to hear it and come back to me or go sidebar or get more information that maybe makes your position, will soften your position. You know, all of these things I've gotten better at, I think, but I'm still a change agent. And I, I, I think I'm emboldened by my success. So transition then to YouTube. Um, one of the things that I find interesting and as I was kind of thinking and preparing for our discussion was, um, I, I mean, when you dug into Facebook and dug into Twitter and dug into podcasts, um, I would say that like the success, not just for you, but for a lot of people, like it took a while for that to kind of become mainstream, 
right? I mean, it took a while for people to kind of understand both from a user standpoint, but also from a uh, from an audience standpoint. Now you're in the the um, YouTube space. What lessons learned are you taking from that, and how are you applying them to kind of your your YouTube experience? And is this the future, or is it just the now? Like, kind of get, give some thoughts to to that. I know that's a lot to throw into one question. Yeah. So I want to answer that question in two ways. So in parallel with you know what pays the bills, I, I work on the Ward Carroll brand. Uh, and again, I, because those don't aren't um, dissonant or, or somehow counter to each other, I'm allowed to do that, and that's a gift, right? I don't take that for granted. Um, so that means Ward, the opinion columnist at the Dispatch and Bulwark, Ward on Twitter, and then Ward and his new YouTube channel that's existed for about five weeks. So. The YouTube channel was, now I had a YouTube channel, it was just a repository for my old Fox News hits and some of my, my band, my rock band live stuff and some of my wife's dog show, you know, stuff, right? It was just sort of this odds and ends and there was this me with Tommy Lee and me with Payne Stewart and, but I, it wasn't, there wasn't a constant inventory, content inventory drumbeat and, and, and so I struck up a friendship with a real YouTuber who I will not identify by name, but um, he's got a music channel. He's got 2 million plus subscribers. You know, on the down low, he is a political groupie. He's a junkie. And so he, it was one of these, I like you, no, I like you kind of things where he was following me on Twitter. He was touring the Paul Reed Smith Guitar Factory across the bay from Annapolis, and he pinged me. He's like, hey, you want to have a beer? And so we went to McGarvey's here in Annapolis, and we had, and we had a beer. Um, and, you know, just started talking politics and music. And, and even now in the COVID environment, we'll do these catch-ups on Zoom or whatever app and, and, and spend a couple hours with guitars in our hands and talking half politics, half music influences. It's a real gift. He called me one day and said, why are you wasting your time on Twitter? I'm like, what? He's like, and he, he just started rattling off all the political guys that basically never Trump mafia that, that he follows, you know, Charlie Sykes and Bill Crystal and Radio Free Tom and, and, and all, you know, Tom Nichols. And, and he's like, those guys are wasting the opportunity and YouTube is where it's at. So he said, I, I want to try an experiment with you. Um, and I'm going to give you all the tools to try to make a go of it. Um, but I want you to take that YouTube channel you have and be more deliberate about the inventory and the, what it is you're going to do. And so I'm like, so what is it I'm going to do? He's go, he goes, just make this an extension of what's happening on Twitter. Right. So topic du jour. And sometimes you're talking sports and sometimes it's you with a guitar. Just do that and shoot for five to eight minutes. Something I've had trouble with keeping it that short. And he taught me how to make those thumbnails using an app called Bazart, where you can. It's really easy. It's not Photoshop. It's this Bazart um, where you create those little thumbnails. So when you go up my YouTube channel, 
it's not just screen grabs of that episode because that gets kind of confusing. It's different thumbnails. And so based on that, the Gen 1 version is just me talking, you know, and, and topic du jour. Today, I'm actually, when we're done here, I'm going to go downtown and do one about the legacy of Martin Luther King in the context of the second big lie about the election. And, and so I already have sort of the arc of that extemporaneous narrative. I'm not reading a script. It's just me talking. And sometimes I'm on my game and sometimes I get, you know, sucked off on some tributary and, you know, but I think I'm in the aggregate starting to reveal my thought process and starting to earn an audience and a loyalty but that's a long march, right? I mean, average, I do about 60 plays per episode, where this other guy does 600,000 per episode. Um, so right now, it's just uh, like with my band. Some nights, there's nobody there. And when you do, you know, finish a song, nobody claps. And we look at each other, we're like, well, I was entertained, right? So I'm doing it to just sort of force myself to go at a topic in a very deliberate you know, way it, it forces me to do some kind of poor man's research. And in so doing, I realize where we're really an extremist in some way. So let, let me interrupt you for one, one second. I apologize because that is such an important point. And, and it, it really goes to why we started this podcast, the, those reps and sets, that idea that, Hey, I'm going to do something, whether it's for your personal brand or whether it's for your company's brand, and that you're okay with not having 600,000 clicks right out of the gate, that you have a realistic approach and that your goal is learning and getting better is such an anathema um, in today's communication world, right? I mean, if you're in an organization and you go to your boss and you say, hey, I want to start this and yeah, I recognize it's going to be a slow haul. Um, but it will allow us to get better. We'll improve storytelling. We'll learn more about the uh, algorithm. You, you know, all the things that you would get, whatever the platform is. A lot of folks would just look at you and and it, you may even look at yourself and say, hey, that's a waste of time. I'm going to go to the tried and true. But I really think that that attitude, if people are listening to this and they go, well, how do I get to be an early adopter? How do I change my mindset to be in a space that other people aren't there yet? I think that's the nugget that, that you just explained, that willingness to um, do something to get better for yourself, to learn and, and to accept the fact that it is a, a longer haul maybe to success than, uh, than just hitting it you know, right when you start something. Yeah. So I think this gets back to the sort of, let's just call it arrogance. You have to believe that you're you're offering something to the marketplace. Um, and, and that has to be backed up by results in time. And so if you're the communication shop at a major corporation or an advisory group to a major corporation, you do have to give them the timeline, you know, and, and, and build confidence in the person who's retaining you that you're not just throwing good money at bad. And so um, the, my pod, obviously I don't spend any money on the pod, uh, on the, uh, the YouTube uh, channel. Um, I'm just watching the growth curve. I've had some minor hits. I did one about um, 
Pence's nuclear option that was actually prescient. And what I said to on on Twitter today, I'm not kidding. I'm like, if you had been following me from the outset, you would have been way ahead of the average American in terms of what was going to happen. As I'm building the brand, I'm kind of getting bullish on the narrative. You know, it's like, oh, I was right. Okay. Now be more right and continue to be right and just keep going. The steady drumbeat and don't look at the numbers too much because it can be depressing. And I'll catch up with my mentor every once in a while and go, hey, the numbers aren't. He's like, stop, stop. You're doing great. You're, he goes, you're, you're hitting it out of the park. You are way ahead of where I was at this point. And he'll tell me, I didn't have my first 1,000 plays until six months into it. And you've only, you've only been doing this a month. To pivot back to the day job piece and the podcast, we hit huge resistance when I first suggested it. Um, and, and this is a company that is, has been around since 1873, is basically wired to publish a magazine. Um, and, and so they have been, in some cases, reluctant adopters of the digital space. Uh, and now they're catching up big time because there's been a change in staff in recent years that's allowed that further the revenue results are starting to come in in terms of monetizing the web and even monetizing the podcast you know we have we've had sponsorship of the podcast and so when you start having those results and everybody you know success has many fathers but at the beginning the the old guard was like okay a i don't want you to do this but b if you do do this I'm going to make it so hard logistically that you'll run out of enthusiasm. So they wanted to run every episode of the podcast through the editorial board that meets monthly. And the editorial board is a very cool part of the special sauce there, but that was going to just make it so hard that it was not going to be doable. And so we just said, no, we're not going to do it that way. And then the other feedback we got was, Okay, it can't just be you guys talking among yourselves because the first version of it was just us kind of commenting on what was happening in the sea services editorially. And like, well, that's not what the Naval Institute does. We host the forum. We don't, we're not the forum. So that was fair. That was a fair criticism. So we're like, okay, how about this? Let's just go deeper with, in this case, proceedings, magazines, authors around the stories that are in each magazine. And And suddenly, boom, okay. Now we have something that everybody can believe in. And then you can, your stretch goal beyond that is, can we talk to Stavridis and Mullen and Winnefeld? And our hugest breakthrough ever was, that was the medium that we talked to uh, Admiral Alcoin after he'd been fired from Seventh Fleet in order for him to criticize the comprehensive review because there was trust in the forum. So he was willing to tell tales out of school and it was very edgy and newsworthy. And so the medium was the digital space for him to, you know, levy his criticism, basically saying that the comprehensive review is not comprehensive. And, and so we just did our 200th episode and we, we did that one was our look back at the high points. And we've tash, tackled, you know, in the wake of George Floyd, social issues in the military and uh, gender integration, the submarine force. And did we really fix surface warfare after the collisions of of 2017 and TR COVID, you know, we've, we've been all over this thing in a very relevant way, but also against the backdrop of what the Naval Institute does. So if, if the CEO, retired three-star Vice Admiral Pete Daly, 
here's an episode he's not going to jump down our throats because it's not in keeping with the mission. So it's at once bleeding edge in terms of the tone and the extemporaneous elements of a podcast, but it's also within the lifelines in terms of the mission. And my point is that what maybe originally it was not, but we adapted to make it so. And now it's a success both in terms of the numbers, because we've been growing the listens per, per episode and the revenue. And now it's baked into the media kit and everything else. And it's fundamental uh, to what, what we do. And I'm very proud of that as well. It's, it's now the fabric of the Naval Institute. So that's a product roadmap sort of success story um, because I, don't, I wouldn't say the product met the organization halfway, but the product melded into the mission of the organization while also being original and, and in keeping with the way that audiences uh, consume media. Not, not every organization is good at that these days, you know, especially in the .org space. You know, we have trouble with that. Ward, this is Bashan. Uh, this is extremely in, in, insightful, to say the least. Ward, you mentioned something uh, back there in, in, in your commentary that, that made my eyes widen. Uh, you said uh, the term change agent. Now, uh, look, we're, we're not even one month uh, into the new year, and you already got people saying like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm trading in my trial subscription on 2021. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I, uh, you know, as, as uh, the, the words that, that you're offering here, the, uh, the, the valuable uh, comments you, you've made to us. So I'm interested in your take moving into 2021. You know, if you were to give someone advice on how to be a change agent in some, you know, in some, some turbulent times right now, what would you say to someone uh, as we're looking towards a, a new administration and a, uh, a new year where some folks would look at the last year and say like, oh my gosh, you know, they, they look at all the bad of it uh, rather than look at what, what they can do uh, to be a change agent. So what, what would you offer there? To be a change agent, you, you need to have a wide portfolio and, a, a, you know, your set list has got to have a lot of material, you know, and as I mentioned, my YouTube mentor, what makes his channel really good is his portfolio is so diverse and he's kind of my age. And so he's been, a performer, producer, songwriter, exec. Now he's, uh, oh, he also taught music theory. Um, and so at his fingertips, he can talk about modes, music theory. That time he was on the road with U2, that time he was backstage with Paul McCartney, um, that one time that record exec tried to screw him over, you know? And so it's just engaging. It's like a really cool friend, you know? So if he says, this is good, and this is bad, I'm inclined to believe him unconditionally. So that's a lot in this environment where, you know, the nation is divided and we're, we're arguing about what truth is and, and, and alternate facts. And, you know, we're kind of coming out of that, that arena. So I think, Sean, the, the short answer is, if I'm going to be a change agent, I first have got to be wedded to a fundamental concept of the truth. And that means I reject pandering to conspiracy theories or hashtag big lies. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, and that, that, and to, to say that is not to be on one side of the political aisle or another, a 
because I am a militant moderate. So as we talk about social issues and whatnot, especially today, you know, and I've spent the morning rereading letter from Birmingham jail and the transcripts of the speech from the, the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and in Memphis the day before he was assassinated. Yes. And those resonate just so, so purely. And, and, and so I just, I, I want the nation to warm themselves really universally on the promise of the constitution, because we had some, you know, insincere, cynical actors and to name names, Cruz and Hawley, most specifically, not to mention the other 10 involved in objecting to the counting of the electoral college ballots on the 6th. Yes. But they were trying to exploit seams in the wording of the Constitution that do not exist. And they set an expectation in the poorly educated. Remember Trump in 2016 said, I love the poorly educated. Yes. Not because he wants to lift them up and improve their lot, but because he's going to use them as foot soldiers to carry his fascism. And we've seen the end game there. And we're not done, by the way. Right. This is the analogy here. The last time there was a big lie, it's 1925 in Germany. That's where we are. And we just threw a guy in jail for trying to overthrow the government in the beer hall putsch. But now he's allied with Goebbels and he's going to write Mein Kampf and he's going to keep going. Right. So that's how we have to look at this. So, what do I want in my communicators? Truth set against real historical precedent. And I think there's power. And I think there, you're going to see an appetite on the part of a reasonable Americans to accept that messaging going forward. And it's so necessary. Um, and, and I want to have, you know, healthy tension about first amendment, second amendment, you know, let's, let's get back to real dialectic and not always feeding the president's demand because he's a narcissist. That's sucked off a lot of bandwidth in the last five years, you know, including the campaign. Um, and so I'm hoping, because I'll tell you, I don't love Joe Biden. I love that he's not Trump, you know, but this is going to be the beginning of the next phase of the national struggle. And so let's make it productive and let's honor the lines on the field, because guess what? Those lines have served us. And that's the lesson of Martin Luther King. Everything he did, going to jail, uh, you know, social advocacy, peaceful protest was within the guidelines that are established by the Constitution, you know, and, and, and it's funny because they go, you know, Martin Luther King advanced civil rights by breaking the law. Hitler created the Third Reich by complying with the law. And so I love that as kind of a bumper sticker. And, and it's up to the members of a free and fair society to understand those realities and, and that's what you see from all these videos that are coming out from the insurrection is these people had no idea what they were doing. And, and, and it's not funny. You know, you could go look at this Yal Qaeda, you know, and, and, and laugh at, at their ignorance, but it, it was, it was dangerous. I dare think about what would have happened if they'd found Nancy Pelosi or even Mike Pence. You know, and, 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 and you think of the lack of responsibility of our chief executive, the president, and all of his enablers and those, those cronies. It's, it's, you know, I hate to use Third Reich analogies, but they are relevant here, you know. And, and so, again, to get back to the messaging piece, 
truth, truth. That's what, that's what I want to see. Even on the commercial side, I want to see really rigorous truth. If you start to sort of try to do a little mind meld or a bending of it, I'm, I'm out, you know? And so I think that's the way America's going to feel. I unabashedly uh, uh, sit in the pew of, of the uh, wisdom that you, uh, that you spew, so to speak. I didn't even mean to make that rhyme. That's your next lyric for your band. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you what, I'm starting, I'm starting the, uh, the groundswell right now here at Grassroots, the Ward Carroll for Mayor of Annapolis campaign, uh, because yeah, I just, I love your perspective and I love where you're at. Um, so I'll let Bash bring us out, but thank you so much for, uh, for kind of giving us a window into your mind because it's, it's a brilliant look. No, thank you. I love you guys. And, and we're having a lot of fun with the other enterprises. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Ward Carroll, ladies and gentlemen, check him out on YouTube. Just search for Ward Carroll. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back. This is Three C's with Chris, John and Bashan. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. We're back and it's time to look out on the horizon. Uh, gentlemen, we saw some uh, preliminary moves uh, in and around the cabinet of the new administration this week. Also some appointments made uh, specifically over at the Pentagon. Uh, John, uh, you want to weigh in on, on what you saw this week or what, you, what you're looking forward to in the week ahead? I'll throw it to you. Absolutely. Just like the, uh, the, the old Pearl Jam fan in me, every single time I hear a rumor that they're going to break up, I'm always heartened by the idea that they're still together and they're going to put out another album, no matter what the quality of that album is. And in this sense, I'm talking about here he is. He's back. John Kirby um, uh, back as the Pentagon press secretary, a job that I think he's held in some way, shape or form twice previously. Um, but, you know, my, my Pearl Jam joke aside, I believe that this is a very, very welcome addition um, for the Pentagon and for the entire administration as they prioritize communicating. If you want to look at, you know, and Ward Carroll talked a little bit about it um, in our last segment, but you, you look at the general theme being put out by the previous administration, by Kayleigh McEnany, by, by Trump and his uh, cabinet members, by his communicators, if you can call them that. And it was just really poor. And we've talked about it here. We talked about it over the course of the administration. And now with the, um, with the naming of Jen Psaki and her crew with the uh, White House comms and John Kirby coming in to do, the, uh, to do the Pentagon comms, I think this is a really good time for someone like Kirby to come in and lend his experience and his acumen and his maturity, really. And, and I'm saying maturity as a means of criticizing the previous administration because I never thought they communicated with maturity. So hopefully as we get into the presbud season, you know, February is always a very, very difficult month to communicate, um, you know, in terms of policy and programmatics and DOD to say nothing of trying to put DOD back on a glide slope of communicating openly about a lot of important programs and personnel decisions on the horizon to say nothing of operating during a continuing pandemic. 
John Kirby is up to the job. I, I certainly hope that he surrounds himself with other like-minded, open, transparent, and mature communicators. So I'll be looking forward to that um, in addition to a great many things that are happening Wednesday. I fear for what might happen Wednesday, but the only thing I'll leave you leave us at is that I think on Thursday we'll be in a better place. Guys? Thanks, John. Chris, over to you. Yeah, I'll follow John's lead and talk a little bit about um, the changes of communicators. Um, my, my advice for um, the White House and the team of White House communicators over there would be as soon as possible, depoliticize the podium, make it about truth, as Ward and John uh, b- both mentioned. Um, you know, whether it is Jen Psaki or John Kirby, they will enjoy a bit of a honeymoon from um, their respective press corps simply because they are not Trump, uh, that their bosses are not Trump. And so I expect them to be welcomed uh, by those respective press corps. And, but at some point, uh, that honeymoon will end and they will then have to begin to really earn their pay or really demonstrate why they were the right choices for those jobs. I'll kind of zoom in and speak specifically about John Kirby. I, I consider uh, John uh, a friend and a mentor. I've had the opportunity to work with him several times uh, throughout my 20 plus years of communicating. Um, but my advice to um retired Admiral Kirby would be to think in terms of truth, transparency, and training. Uh, Truth with the American people um, and our allies in mind, uh, being a voice of truth and knowing and being credible in the information that he shares from the podium or in his interactions with the media will be very important in terms of uh, fixing the image of DOD, that image both at home and abroad. Transparency, I, I think, goes without saying, but particularly for the DOD audience. They need to know that um, half-truths and sharing only a bit of information and that, uh, it is not the right way Um, from an ethics standpoint, but it's not the right way from an efficacy standpoint. It's not the smart way to communicate. And then thirdly, training. Um, We've had an entire generation of communicators learn what wrong looks like. It'll be nice for them to learn what right looks like. Just as much as John Kirby will have to fix the Pentagon's relationship with media, he has a pretty big task in teaching his boss uh, to be a more effective communicator. Uh, Lloyd Austin is a lot of things. An effective communicator is probably not one that people would think of right away. So um, in addition to fixing the reputation and restoring trust in the spokesman job at DOD, I think John has his work cut out for him and how he helps his boss and the Biden Pentagon team be more effective in how they communicate with myriad audiences, both in and outside the building. Excellent. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, yes, you mentioned that uh, that we've all had a uh, uh, an opportunity, a chance to work uh, under Admiral Kirby uh, over the course of uh, over the course of our careers. Uh, and while I echo uh, the sentiments that you both uh, have just put forth, I will reflect on this um, in the response to the earthquake in Haiti back in, uh, in 2010, uh, I had a chance to work under uh, then Captain Kirby uh, on the task force uh, responding to that, uh, that horrible incident, uh, that horrible event. And there was one particular time I was on the phone um, with Captain Kirby 
and he was uh, imploring me uh, to take care of a situation uh, in dealing with my leadership uh, at the command that I was under. And I responded to Captain Kirby that, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, even though I was junior, the junior person in the room, I was trying to show that I had some teeth. And his response was, show them all. And so if there's any advice uh, that if uh, Admiral Kirby is going to take from me, I would put his words uh, right back to him uh, when, he, when he steps to the podium and, and sets forth uh, on the mission of um, transparency and, and truth and um, showing people how to do it right. Uh, well, Admiral, in terms of showing those teeth, show them all. Folks, that's our show for today. We want to thank Ward Carroll for stopping by, and we appreciate you joining us for this conversation. If you're looking for more information as your business or organization navigates the communication environment, please feel free to reach out to us at provisionadvisors.net, where you can also sign up to receive our weekly update delivered straight to your inbox every Sunday morning. Folks, in the meantime, please be thoughtful and be safe. Take care. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.